Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on the corner of Down Street in Piccadilly, SW1. Two streets east of the stabbing by the Angel Delight Killer. One street north of the pink-suited bully. One street south of the last drink for Ken Snakehips Johnson. And a short walk from the burned mute. Coming soon to Murder Mile. A few yards from this corner stands the Athenaeum, a four-star Mayfair hotel where every guest is greeted by a dapperly dressed doorman. Whether they're a tourist, exhausted, having been fleeced within an inch of their wallet by the most expensive city in Europe, or a hideously ugly businessman who has chaperoned an inexplicably attractive girl, possibly his granddaughter, whose name he can't recall, to test the springs on his bed for a period of approximately 58 minutes but not a second more. Coincidentally, the corner of Down Street and Piccadilly is a place where prostitutes often frequent. On Friday the 27th of March 1959 at 2.50am an unidentified man was found slumped against the railings a few doors down. Later dying of his wounds, no one knew his name, no one knew why he was there, and no one knew who had attacked him, or why. And although the police would bring his killers to trial, this little-known case would only lead to unanswered questions. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 229 Dumped When people talk about the good old days, they always claim we all knew each other, there was no crime. You could leave your door open. We all looked out for one another. Which we all know is utter crap. Almost every murder we've covered disproves this theory. And this case is no different. As with no one coming to the victim's aid, not wanting to get involved is a skill we've mastered over centuries. 
Friday the 27th of March 1959 was the start of the bank holiday weekend. Therefore, as is typical in Britain, even on a God-fueled day like Good Friday, there was much merriment and quaffing of booze in the city, as the people got a lot more pissed than usual, especially as for many, it was their payday. Being halfway between Piccadilly Circus and Hyde Park, although dark, being dotted with a dull yellow haze of streetlights, and the murmur from a smattering of inebriates staggering home from pubs or clubs, the southerly corner of Down Street in Mayfair was as quiet and silent as Green Park opposite. At roughly 2.50am, Ralph Platt, a taxi driver, was circling the West End looking for fares. Passing Down Street, slumped against the cast iron railings of T. Brown at 117 Piccadilly, just shy of the Athenaeum, he saw the all too familiar sight of what looked like a drunk. His head flopped to one side, his suit all dishevelled, a dark stain down his once white shirt, and his legs having buckled underneath him. Like an unwanted ragdoll, cast outside for the bin men to collect. Several people hadn't thought to stop or were willing to wake him as they walked on by, with one set to be within touching distance. Only Ralph was concerned, as something didn't look right. Mate, mate, are you okay? With the man's face as pale as marble, and his eyes as sunken as caves, as he slurred his words, Ralph saw that the stain on his chest wasn't vomit, just as the liquid which seeped down his trouser legs wasn't urine, but blood. As from a deep steaming wound to his stomach, his intestines poked through. At 2.54am, Ralph got on his radio and called his control room. Zebra 42 to dispatch. Dispatch here. Zebra 42? Emergency. Ambulance required. Oh, uh, better make it quick. He's been stabbed and he's losing a lot of blood. Roger, Zebra 42. Receiving the call on his radio at 2.55am, PC Costa of Western Central Police Station arrived at the scene within minutes quickly followed by an ambulance, who, identifying his urgent need for blood, sped this barely conscious man to St. George's Hospital on Hyde Park Corner, just three streets away. Taken to casualty, Dr. Miller would state he was severely shocked and incapable of answering any questions. His abdominal wound was obscured by six feet of small intestines and bowel protruding, and stabbed with a knife to a depth of four inches deep. The blade had penetrated his spine. Being operated on and given several blood transfusions, the man was taken into recovery. 
but with the knife's blade, having pierced the left lobe of his liver. At 1.52pm that day, he died of his injuries. With his cause of death being blood loss, had anyone who had seen him attacked, or even those who had walked on by as he lay bleeding, stopped to see if he was okay? It was likely he may have lived. But they hadn't. With his autopsy held at Westminster Public Mortuary, Professor Keith Simpson identified that the blade almost completely severed one of his main arteries arising from the aorta at the back of the abdomen. And although the man was described as tall and powerfully built, there were no signs that he'd fought back. And with two splits to his eyebrow, a break to his nose, and two cuts to his upper lip, it was possible that he'd been punched, not with a fist, but a weapon, probably a knuckle duster. Alcohol was detected on his breath, but with a blood test unable to confirm how much he had drank, didn't answer the question why a man with a superior physique hadn't been able to defend himself. His murder made no sense at all. With his wallet, his keys and his watch in his pocket, he hadn't been robbed. With no one reporting the assault, his attack was quick, probably random, and possibly unseen. And with no one able to confirm where he had been, why he was there, who had attacked him and why, all they knew about this ordinary man, who was probably drunk and maybe mistaken by a nasty gang of thugs who had pounced on him when he was at his most vulnerable, was a few innocent details. The dead man was Graham John Osborne, a 26-year-old former guardsman who, being dressed in a traditional bearskin and red tunic, had once stood guard outside of Buckingham Palace. But invalided out of the service, he had earned an honest wage as a stockman, he was unmarried, he had no children, no criminal record, and he lived with his mother Gladys, in Southall. His death made no sense. And yet a code of silence was protecting his killers. This is the nine o'clock news. The next day, the Daily Telegraph's headline was Stabbed a Man Lay Dying in Piccadilly. And underneath, in bold capital letters, were the words, Murder Hunt. With the most serious crime having been committed, those who were protecting Graham's cowardly killers weren't talking. So the police were appealing to the innocent few who thought they had simply seen a drunk man slumped on the pavement. It read, For 30 minutes yesterday morning, Graham John Osborne, 26, 
lay bleeding to death on the pavement in Piccadilly, with people passing him by before police and an ambulance were called. Meaning this was no longer an assault, this was serious. Detective Superintendent Manning took charge, and today detectives were visiting shelters and coffee stalls as used by taxi drivers in an attempt to trace witnesses. And it worked, as having ignited a sympathy for the dead man and reassuring any possible witnesses that there was something they could do. A flood of taxi drivers came forward, as well as passers-by. Scotland Yard is appealing for any person who was in the vicinity of Down Street and Piccadilly between 2.20am and 3am yesterday, especially those who gathered around Osborne, who was bleeding heavily from a stab wound to the stomach. Having read that and felt ashamed, who wouldn't call? And so as those who weren't held by a code of silence spoke, the mystery over who had murdered Graham Osborne began to unravel. Martin McAvoy, a man of no job nor fixed abode, who was walking towards Hyde Park Corner from Green Park Station, would state, I saw a young red-haired girl and that man arguing with one another. The man he had positively identified was Graham Osborne and given the detailed description of the girl and the fact that the corner of Down Street was a popular hangout for prostitutes. Officers at Western Central Police Station had one woman in mind. With a second witness, Andrew Farley, the night porter at the Athenaeum corroborating the sighting, and with several sex workers confirming her whereabouts that night, Police questioned 24-year-old Daphne Gillian Cantley, a flame-haired prostitute from Earl's Court, who was known locally as Bobby. Clearly terrified. At first, she denied it was her, or even that she was there. But with the police agreeing to keep her details out of the papers for fear of any reprisals, and her guarded at an undisclosed address by a flank of officers, Bobby gave a statement. And although her recall of the encounter with Graham was incredibly detailed, unsurprisingly, her memory of his attackers were patchy and hazy at best. But she did give a name. I only know one of the men, she said, describing him as 25 to 30, medium height and stockily built. But unable to recognize the other, I had tears in my eyes as I went up to him, because I'd been crying and I was shaking a great deal. But as far as I know, the guardsman and chick were strangers. And that's all they had. A vague description and a nickname. Chick. But who was Chick? By the next day, 
as the name Chick echoed across every newspaper as well as every television set. The city buzzed as people started asking, who's Chick and where is he hiding? So worried were local hoodlums of being wrongly accused of murder. The many men handed themselves in with satisfactory alibis and with his description being specific enough even the killers were looking over their shoulders. At an insalubrious hangout called the Cockney Cafe, a back church lane in Stepney, seeing the name Chick plastered over the TV news, a labourer called Terry Kenny turned to his pal, a 27-year-old street trader called Chick, who confided, I'm in a bit of bother. Because of that bloke in the dilly, you got stabbed. Chick was a wanted man. And having confessed, I swear on my baby's life, it wasn't me. Although an accomplice, it wasn't Chick who had murdered Graham Osborne, but a friend who he had unwisely chosen to protect Born in Poplar, East London, on the 1st of March 1932. Nicknamed Chick, his real name was William James Joyce. Named after the Irish author, as a young criminal for whom the Borstal system had taught him nothing but theft, Chick wouldn't gain any notoriety, as his criminal acts were petty and pointless. In 1950, Aged 18, he was fined 40 shillings for dodging the tax on imported cigarettes. In 1952, he was charged with GBH, car theft, housebreaking and larceny, as well as illicit gambling in 1956 and 57. Of the eight years since he had turned 18, he had spent four months in prison and four years bound over or on a conditional discharge. Therefore, many may say he was a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. He was a minor criminal with a violent streak, but he hadn't committed a murder. The guilty party was his friend, 26-year-old William Henry Heathcote, also known as Billy. Described as cocky and arrogant, like Chick, Billy had spent three years in Borstal and just over three years in prison for a baffling array of thefts, which suggested if it wasn't nailed down, he would nab it. Including groceries, two shoes, a pair of gloves, four shirts, a camera, a typewriter, an ophthalmoscope and a pair of bathing trunks. As well as being in the possession of cannabis and living off the immoral earnings of prostitution, with the next crime added to his rap sheet being murder. A fruitless shield of criminal fear hadn't helped to protect them from a murder investigation. And even though it was only one of them who had plunged the knife into Graham Osborne's guts, together their cockiness would convict them 
in the minutes after the murder. They weren't exactly silent about the crime. In a busy billiard hall on Great Wimmel Street, Bobby the Flamehead sex worker was heard to utter, Thanks, Chick. I won't forget that. To the two out-of-breath men. She later told Margaret Wellstead, another prostitute, and her husband John what had happened. And seeing three police cars speed towards the crime scene, Chick stated, I've been in a little bit of trouble. While still wearing those same bloodstained clothes, Billy admitted to the server at the Bruno Cafe in Stepney, The police are looking for us. There's been a right old rumpus. As about him lay the latest news articles about the murder. And then they both admitted to their girlfriends. I didn't, I didn't do, do it. it. It was it Chick. Was Billy. It wasn't hard to track them down. Searching both flats, police found the clothes they wore that night, including Billy's jacket and shirt, which had spots of Group A blood on the left sleeve, and several spots on the inside of Chick's jacket. All of an identical blood group to Graham, but not to Chick and Billy. But with no knife found, what the police needed was a witness and a confession which was easier said than done. On Sunday the 30th of March, both men were questioned. Cocky to the last, Billy laughed at the detective's questions. And when asked, Where were you at half two on Good Friday? Whilst lying down, he spat, Fuck off, cop! You're wasting your time. I'm as safe as the fucking bank. Having identified Chick as one of the men, to prove Billy's guilt, they put him on an ID parade at West End Central Police Station. As Martin McAvoy was yet to come forward, the first witness was Andrew Farley, the night porter at the Athenaeum Hotel, who in fairness hadn't seen much, so he couldn't pick him out. The second was Bobby. Released under guard from a police house. As she stood in the station's courtyard, before a line of eight men of similar appearance, she visibly shook. Hesitantly walking up the line from left to right, with Billy being the last man, as she crept nearer, with her voice trembling, No, that's not him, to each man before her, seeing the scowl on his face, before she could even speak, she staggered back and collapsed in the arms of the inspector, who carried her out. In the lineup, no one identified Billy. On Tuesday, the 1st of April, although a lack of conclusive evidence 
meant a conviction was on shaky ground. Unable to prove who had stabbed Graham Osborne, both Chick and Billy were charged with the murder. Terrified that he was about to lose his life for a crime he hadn't commit, with a new witness giving a statement, when Billy was questioned again, he spat, Oh, I see. So Chick has opened his mouth, has he? I'm not afraid of him. He's well known as a grass. If he put it on me, I'll put it on him. And with that, both men blamed each other. The code of silence fell, and they told the police a story that no one had expected. Friday the 27th of March 1959 was the start of the bank holiday. Being British, a smattering of people headed to church and prayed. Most over ate and watched the box, while the rest of the country got royally smashed. For Bobby, it was business as usual. As she hung about on the corner of Down Street, hoping to pick up a punter after the post-pub surge of horny gits had all headed off home to their unwitting wives. She would state, I arrived down there to start business. I noticed this man to the right of me near the bus stop. I didn't take much notice of him. He hailed a taxi which stopped right in front of me on the zebra crossing. The man was Graham Osborne. He was a stranger to her, but then most of her customers were. I don't know whether he was worse for drink, Bobby said, or if he was going to do something wrong. He was behaving very strangely. His eyes were glazed, and a staring look in his eyes caused me to be very frightened. When I declined to go with him, he got aggressive. I was frightened for my life. By then, Martin McAvoy, the passerby who had admitted he was within touching distance, saw Bobby and Graham arguing. And yet, like too many people who didn't want to get involved, he did nothing. Bobby was terrified as Graham attacked her. He pushed me into the back seat of the taxi. I tried to get out, and he threw me back in, her mind racing with fear that she was about to be raped. And although the cab driver sat barely inches away, I screamed, but he didn't even attempt to help. Having got out, although she was crying desperately, the taxi, it just drove away and the driver was never identified. And yet Bobby's terror was far from over. With the taxi gone, she was alone on an almost empty street with a well-built former guardsman who wanted to do her harm. He had me against the railings, and although just yards away, Andrew Farley, 
the porter of the Athenaeum had come out to the sound of the commotion. He also did nothing. What was on Graham's mind will never be known. But based on his actions, he was desperate to do unspeakable things to Bobby. A lone woman, who three men had ignored as she screamed in terror. It was then, as she had initially stated, the two boys came to her aid. Understandably fearful, she claimed she only knew one of them by nickname. I had tears in my eyes as I went up to Chick, and the other, she had collapsed before she could identify him to the police. But later, she would admit the truth. I bumped into Chicken Billy. I said, Chick, I've been attacked in the taxi. As Graham stalked towards her. Chick said, you'll be all right now. And as the two men confronted her cowardly assailant, words were said, voices were raised, and chests shoved. As Chick shouted, what's your game, mate? And Graham arrogantly spat, what the fuck's it to you? Bobby's recollection of the fight was fuzzy and muddled, stating, Chick grabbed the man by the lapels and nutted him a couple of times with his head, breaking his nose and cracking the bridge of his eyes, which the pathologist had suggested was caused not by a fist, but by a weapon, probably a knuckle duster. And although Bobby would state, Billy hit the man in the stomach with his hand and then ran. I never saw a knife. With Martin admitting, I saw a knife and it was going into his stomach. It just went in and out fast through the man's shirt. I was just walking by at the time. I was within touching distance. Having confirmed that he knew Chick, he would state, He was one of the two men. I couldn't identify the other. And there lied the problem. As for a short while, a code of silence had protected the killers of Graham Osborne. But as the men who had defended Bobby from a possible rapist, that same code of silence and a fear of getting involved would risk two men being convicted of murder. One who was guilty and the other who was not. Having been committed for trial at Bow Street Magistrates Court on the 4th of April, barely one week later, as Chick was led away in a police car, although Detective Manning suggested to Chick, Keep your head down, son. There's photographers outside. Chick bragged, I couldn't care fucking less. I admit to nutting the guy, and I'll do 18 months for GBH. But it was Billy who knifed him. But with both men blaming each other in court, 
neither of the witnesses able to confirm who held the knife, and the knife itself having never been found. Although there was irrefutable evidence, such as the blood on their clothes and several key witnesses, that a fight had occurred between Chick, Billy and Graham on that night, on that corner of Piccadilly, the jury had no option but to find them both guilty. With the trial held at the Old Bailey, both William Henry Heathcote, known as Billy, and William James Joyce, nicknamed Chick, were given life sentences for Graham Osborne's murder, with no charges of assault posthumously brought against the dead man. Their convictions brought about a resolution to the case, and having served their time, they were later released. But the evidence left more questions than it answered. Why were the witnesses so fearful of Chick and Billy? Why did Graham attack Bobby? And the last being, why did they kill Graham? Were they merely rescuing a woman in distress? Or if her pimps, were they protecting their product? It's a question which will never be answered. As with no one else, having come to either victim's aid, nor wanting to get involved, which is a skill we've mastered for centuries. The only two who know the truth are Chick and Billy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good. Oh, who do I want to kill today? Oh my god. Right in the finishing right in this this morning, I was thinking, oh, it's all gonna be good. It was a nice day outside, it was a bit cloudy, which was good, and everything was alright. And then and then a little bit of sun came out, and then all the arseholes come down the uh the 
the towpath and go oh well, i've got to have a conversation oh i've got to talk oh let me tell you about my piles oh let's talk about boats oh look there's a boat there's another boat let's read out the name of the boat let's stand in front of the boat and look at the boat and talk and oh well oh how's your piles oh my piles are playing up oh are they oh yes it really hurts at the moment my asshole really hurts that's amazing because your asshole is exactly the same as your mouth it's full of shit oh, I have to suffer. <coughs> and then of course, the arseholes in the little little planes are doing the little circuits. And they, it just, it's like one little crappy little businessman in a little shitty aircraft that he's learning to fly so he can impress his friends. And it takes it takes like a minute for it to go past. It's like it's the tiniest engine in the world, but it's the noisiest. And you, you hear it go. And even worse, some fuck. Oh, I don't know whether someone's trying to repair an old. Ru- There's a lot of rusty boats around here. A lot of shit. A lot of shit boats. Like people have bought them and think they're going to do them up, and they don't. They just dump them. And someone decided to go out and start hitting that their big steel boat with a big old hammer. <sighs> so I, I, I sometimes sometimes all you can do. Sometimes I edit bits out. Other times I just have to sit here and wait for the pricks to shut up anyway there we go um i think i'm gonna open a window i need some fresh air in here even though i'm not too far from a poo plant and there's a, a lot of flies buzzing around which is not nice am i gonna i'm gonna ha- i'm not gonna uh will i have a cup of tea i'm gonna have a cup of tea i pop my water on and i'm at my treat for the day which is my carrot Ooh, michael oh your life is so exciting isn't it yeah this is my treat a big old effing carrot because it's still on my diet since may trying to be good uh it's going well losing chunkage which is good i'm I'm trying to get to that point now of uh getting rid of all the the love handle bit that's the hard bit isn't it the kind of the bit off the belly that's the hard bit to get rid of so uh yeah pretty much having another cake in a good long while i don't really eat many fatty foods uh don't drink much booze anymore um don't really eat chocolate oh god what's the point in living what's the point in living anymore uh but i do have uh three carrots in the morning uh to kind of spur on my uh metabolism which seems to be going quite well i'm doing a shitload of walking as well so there we go it's all good did i say welcome to extra mile i don't think i did welcome to extra mile unscripted unedited bit if you're new to the podcast this is the first episode uh we will uh i have a little waffle i make a cup of tea i answer some questions and then we do some extra stuff that isn't in the episode so things that probably wouldn't make it in uh, don't forget i haven't edited this episode yet so i might edit some stuff out i don't know um what else is going on uh just gone uh was the sixth anniversary of murder mile very exciting very exciting six years was um, of murder mile the podcast the walking tours started in 2015 i think but that no longer exists uh but yeah podcast six years it's been running six years so congratulations to everyone uh thank you to all new listeners but also thank you for all the long-termers thank you very much so um yeah i um haven't uh, 
uh, I've been good. I did have a tiny, tiny little, it wasn't even a, a, a tiny Belgian bun. It was like a micro Belgian bun. That was my treat. And then I did, I did a, a massive walk, burned off about a thousand calories. So that barely, barely even touched the sides. I probably plopped it out before it even t- got turned into a chunkage. So there we go. Um, uh, uh, thank you to new patron supporters. Thank you to Charlie Levine. Thank you to Chantal or Chantel. Uh, I'm not too sure on the pronunciation of that. They're both different, aren't they? Uh, and also, Billy Bob Dangletooth. I'm guessing that's probably not not your real name. I mean, you, you don't know. Maybe it could be. Maybe it could be. Look at that carrot. It looks impressive, doesn't it? I will be chomping on that as I walk over to the, the, the coffee shop in a bit um, to um, start the editing on this. Uh, uh, let me just do my coffee. My coffee? Tea. I'm having a herbal tea, an herbal tea, which of course uh, I probably won't drink much of it during this bit because there are some people who don't like don't like the sounds of eating and slurping and all that. I mean, who who makes so much noise when they're eating and drinking that they make slurping sounds? I mean, I, I used to live with a guy years ago, and he oh man, he used to every single mouthful like mouth open, all that like every single meal it was really horrible really horrible like whenever he, ever he would eat i would have to i would have to leave the room but um yeah which is uh, so my coffee's there um, i'm probably gonna have a tiny swig silently my carrots there it's probably too noisy i'm probably not gonna eat that during the episode so there we go god michael your life is exciting let's dive, dive into some quiz questions uh don't forget uh, i haven't edited the episode yet so uh, i may edit a bit out which means you might not be able to answer the question but because i don't edit this shite this utter waffle uh, extra mile um therefore i won't edit out the question that asks the question which you might not know the answer to so there you go oh, i really want some ice cream tonight i think i'm going to treat myself to the uh that there's an, the, the nice vegan ice cream that I have, which has, doesn't have any fats in it, and it's low calorie as well. So I'm going to have a big bowl of that tonight. Or maybe, do I do that tomorrow? I don't know. Don't know. Mm, we'll see. We'll see We'll see how I feel after I've tried to edit the first part of this. What is it? 12.30 now. Mm, let's see. Right, let's do the quiz questions. Question number one. What's the ne- what was What's the nearest park to the murder? Question number two. What was the name of the taxi driver who found Graham? Question number three. What was the taxi driver's call sign? Question number four. What was the name of the first policeman to arrive at the scene? Question number five. What hospital was Graham taken to? Question number six. Who conducted his autopsy? Question number seven. Which newspaper had the headline stabbed man lay dying in piccadilly question number eight who was the night porter at the athenaeum hotel question number nine what was bobby's real name and question number 10 what was the name of the cafe where chick told terry that he was in trouble Mm, some easy questions there and there's some hard ones so uh let's dive into some extra stuff and then we'll go back to those don't forget uh i might balls up some of these questions so uh you know what so what um uh william henry heathcote this is billy uh 26 years old unemployed lived in stepney 
um, quite arrogant and cocky. Let's dive into some of the um, some of his part of his criminal record. Twenty third of January nineteen fifty, he was seventeen at Toynbee Hall Juvenile Court in Whitechapel. He was convicted of housebreaking and stealing groceries to a value of £1 and stealing £1.16 worth from a prepayment meter and was committed to Hertfordshire Training School, which is a Borstal. Oh, I think I may have... I've either fractured a toe or dislocated, partially dislocated a toe. It's really annoying. Still walking on it, though. Who cares? 24th of October, 1950. At the County of London Sessions, he was charged with burglary and stealing shoes to the value of 37 shillings. Stealing four shirts and a pair of bathing trunks from a shop for £5.11 shillings. Housebreaking and stealing jewellery to the value of £173. And was committed to Borstal Training and released on the 29th of January, 1953. 5th of January, 1955. Uh, a County of London Sessions again, two charges for attempting to take and drive away a motor car without consent, receiving a typewriter uh, and an ophthalmoscope, of which he served 12 months and 18 months consecutively in prison and was released on the 17th of January 1956. 28th of August 1956, Thames Magistrates Court, he was charged with stealing a camera and a pair of gloves to the value of £15, of which he served six months in prison. Uh, and he was disqualified from driving for two years, which I always think is fascinating when they, um, like someone's going to be in prison for two years and they disqualify them from driving for two years. And it's like, they're, gonna, they're in prison, you effing idiot. It's like, what chance have they got of driving in prison? It's just like, it's one of those box ticking things where they go, well, we have to disqualify him from driving. It's like, well, why not disqualify him from driving when he leaves prison? Or why not just not bother at all? If one if one sentence is going to outweigh another one, why why bother covering? It's just box ticking shit. It really is. Nineteenth of February, nineteen fifty seven, at uh, the Old Bailey, he was charged with robbery with violence and served eighteen months in prison. Twenty um, third May, nineteen fifty eight, at Thames Magistrates Court, he was charged with being in possession of a dangerous drug. Oh. <gasps> which was Indian hemp, cannabis. Oh, cool. Wow. Wow. He was uh, discharged conditionally for 12 months. Um, his next charge was for being, uh, for failing to comply with the provisions of that charge. And then the next one, uh, 26th of November, 1958. So that was just a couple of months before. Um, he was... Uh, Thames Magistrates Court, he was charged with being a person living off the earnings of prostitution. He'd served six months in prison. He'd actually served just less than that. And he was released on the 26th of March, 1959. So just, just prior to the murder itself. Um, so he was literally just on, I think he was on release that day, I believe. So well, well done him, you know, released from prison, got into a fight, committed murder, back into prison. Hope you enjoyed your Six days of freedom. Uh, William James Joyce, nicknamed Chick, 27 years old, classified as a street trader of no fixed address, uh, charged in 1950, aged 18, with stealing American cigarettes with the intent to defraud HM Customs. Uh, 1952, at Bow Street, charged with GBH, of which he was conditionally discharged. July 1952, at Bow Street, suspected of being a person loitering with the intent to steal a motor car, 
uh, and uh, found in a common gambling house. September 52, Surrey Quarter Sessions charged with housebreaking, store breaking and larceny of two cases, of which he was sent to Borstal for that and released in January, 50, January 54. Uh, December 56, of Bow Street, he was found guilty again of being in a common house, uh, i.e. a gambling den, bound over for 12 months, fined £5, and told not to frequent gambling houses. Therefore, two months later, at Bow Street, he was found guilty uh inside a common gambling house and breach of his prior charge for which he was bound over um and then he was fined 10 months for uh, fined 10 pounds for that so uh, that was a conviction no, nothing nothing major not massive criminals but you know guys who kind of crime is kind of the way they earn their living um the uh, Bobby would say, uh, I've known Chick for some years. I don't really know Billy awfully well. I knew him a few years ago. Uh, she said that she'd known Chick about four or five years socially, but not as a client. Uh, I've seen him four times that year at the 41 Club in Dean Street. So she did know him quite well, even though she said at the start she didn't. Um, let's Let's do the post-murder. So I, I was going to put in about where what they a lot of what they did post murder, but I kind of I kind of felt it slowed stuff down. So um, immediately after the murder, Bobby said, "I think Billy was paying the cab off in front when I arrived with mine." Uh, they immediately after the kind of the the the, the murder had happened, the the boys ran into a taxi and Bobby ran to, to a taxi. Um, uh, she said, "I spoke to Chick." He said something about you're all right now. Uh, you haven't seen anything. You don't know anything or something like that. That was just by the Cameo Cinema. Uh, there was uh, that was at the Billiard Hall uh, on Great Windmill Street. Uh, Bobby said, thanks, Chick. I won't forget that. Chick said, see you later. Just after that, uh, Bobby went, took the taxi and went back to a cafe called Michael's in Panton Street, uh, which is in Mayfair. And she said, I saw a friend there uh, and a little later I went back to my address at Westmoreland Place with a girlfriend I met at the corner of Park Lane. Uh, whilst in that cafe, she met with Margaret and John Wellstead. Um, Margaret was a prostitute. Uh, John uh, was her husband. Um, it was there that she told them all about what had happened that night. So even though there was a code of silence, obviously amidst this code of silence, people are already talking. Your words get out, don't they? Um, John Wellstead, while he was in the billiard hall, uh, he said, I walked up to Windmill Street. Everyone calls it Windmill Street. It's great Windmill Street. And I phoned the billiard hall. Chick answered and said, hello. Uh, I said, hello, is that Chick? Chick said, yeah, I thought it was Jean calling. Jean is his girlfriend. Uh, he didn't say why. Chick came down and let us in. Uh, I went up and sat down next to another fellow. That would have been Billy. Uh, and he confirmed that was the clothes they were wearing at the time. So he was one of the people who was able to say, yeah, that's exactly what they were wearing. Uh, where is that bit? Um, John Wellstead. So John Chick and another man, so that's Billy, walked up Shaftesbury Avenue and met his wife, Margaret. So these are the, this is the couple who Bobby had just met in the cafe and Bobby had told them all what had gone on. 
So John and Margaret know all about this already. Uh, They stood there talking to Chick and Billy. Three police cars went by. The other man said to Chick, that's three, let's go. They went around the corner and that's the last I saw of them. They never said what they'd done or that they were on the run from the police. Uh, Margaret was in the area at the time because she said she was soliciting on Shaftesbury Avenue. Chick said he didn't have time to explain, but that he was in a bit of trouble. So that's what you do, isn't it? When you're you're in trouble, what you do is you tell people about it, or to some people, you just leave little clues. You go, oh, do you know, I can't tell you all about it, but let me just say, there's three police cars dashing all the way to a murder scene over there, and I'm in a little bit of trouble, but I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm just going to walk away wearing my clothes, which are bloodstained, and possibly dispose of a knife. This is why I don't get when, when people get all excited about these these books about gangsters, eh, gangsters. Eh. It's all very exciting, but ga- gangsters talk shit. This is exactly the kind of thing they do. Is they 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 fudge everything, they make everything that they do sound great, and make themselves sound like big time criminals and all that. But they're not. They're just turds. And this is the kind of they're so thick. This is the kind of shit they get up to. Is that they don't understand what they're doing. They don't know how to plan things properly. And therefore, they. Fuck it up. Uh, uh, Jean McCleary, she was Chick's girlfriend. She said, I saw him again at about 4.30am. I saw him in the same cafe in the East End. He was not damaged in any way. Uh, He did not tell me what he had been doing since I'd last seen him. Chick did, did not tell me he had, uh, what had happened that night. He told me nothing. He told me nothing. Um... he said on the Sunday, he told me about the murder. He just said, they're looking for me. Don't worry. Well, I mean, that's what you do, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's fine. Police are looking for you. I won't worry. Yeah, it's fine. Thanks for letting me know. He said it wasn't him that had, it, it, it wasn't him that had done it. He did not know what had happened. He did say that they were looking for him. He said it was because he was helping a prostitute, inverted commas, um, he said it was the other fellow who had stabbed the bloke. Well, there you go. Case closed. It's, it, it, police are looking for me. It's all right. It's the other fellow who had stabbed the bloke. Oh, case closed. Uh, Brian Allen, assistant at the Bruno Cafe in Cable Street in Stepney. Uh, he was there at about 4.15am and he said uh, when Billy came in and Billy said, I've been in a bit of trouble. Uh, what it was, I don't know. He said he used the word rumpus. There you go. It's been a bit of a rumpus. That's how you describe a murder. It's not a murder, a bit of a rumpus. Uh, He looked very nervous and he was wearing the same clothes. Uh, So um, the police uh, went round to see them. They knew where they were. Detective Sergeant Leslie Troman of the Flying Squad. On Sunday the 30th of March, about 8.30am, they kind of burst into their house. Um... That was, we've kind of covered this in the episode. This is when they're being all cocky. What else we got? What else we got? Um, That's the cockiness of them. It's just just baffling, isn't it? It's like um, Billy said, when they said, uh, I have reliable information that you were concerned with the murder of of Graham John Osborne near Down Street in Piccadilly. Um, That was D.S. Manning said that. And uh, Heathcote, which is Billy, laughed and said, Go ahead and charge me. You will never prove it. What tit? What an utter tit. If you want to just try and get away with it, just say, just say no comment. Or just say it wasn't me. No, no, you are, You can't prove it. I'm a, I'm a big time gangster. I am. I'm a numpty. Look at me. I'm a tit. 
I'm sorry, people like this deserve to be locked up. If got no fucking brain cells don't become a criminal it like it, it takes some brains to become a criminal but if if you haven't got brains piss off and do something else go and do something simple like wiping people's asses or something do you know if or, or maybe these people can't wipe their own ass that's why they can't do a job as as detailed and delicate as wiping someone else's ass it's just like oh, utter 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 balance but there you go, gangsters, gangsters. Um, same with, um, same on here. It's like uh, when they were questioning Billy about it, he was lying down while they were questioning, and they said, "Where were you on that on that morning?" He said, "Fuck off and leave me alone. You're wasting my time. I'm as safe as the fucking bank." Although. Billy Heathcote, if you were to come to the twentieth century and look at the state of our banks, you wouldn't be saying that now, you prick um let's do the id parade uh tuesday the 31st of march so that is just a couple of days later uh 4 40 p.m uh in there was so uh night porter was there he was unable to identify anyone um in court he said i was looking at the looking at the defendants now i cannot say whether they were the two men well well done you thank you for being a a very reliable witness what is the point to you um with bobby don't forget uh, today we we kind of have we have the video ones where they film you when you turn left and right and look forwards and you know you get a good look at the face but it's all on video and the person sits in like a a calm little room on a sofa next to an officer who has nothing to do with the case who was just there to write down whether they identify the person you just look at the video and that's all you do whereas this is back in the era where you were taken out out back to um uh, a courtyard at the back of the police station and the men were lined up and then you were had to be walked along which is a terrible way to do it when you think about it because if if you know that the criminal knows your face they know that you're the witness now so it's like what are you gonna do it's like did there goes a little pathetic aircraft um at what point did the did the police not not think to themselves "Mm, maybe we should hide the witness at this point maybe we should find a way of like hiding them behind a screen or or just using photographs or something why why did it take so long to get us to the point where we where we went okay let's start using video it it just doesn't make sense doesn't make sense does it to to because you're not getting the best out of the witness at that point. If the witness is comfortable and happy and they don't feel under threat, they will give you an honest opinion. Whereas if someone's glaring them in the face and they know that person and that person know where, knows where they live and knows their family and knows they can hurt them, you're not going to get the truth. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah, therefore, Bobby was clearly nervous. And as mentioned, she was walking up the line. She was looking at the face of each man. Uh i think i said there were eight men she started on the left she was working her way up billy was at the end they said that her eyes kept looking towards billy quite a lot and she was getting more and more nervous and then eventually when she reached billy she staggered back two or three paces and collapsed into the arms of the inspector who carried her from the room Uh, so therefore that was entirely useless none of them none of them could be charged um with it all starting to fall apart obviously first of april april fool's day lovely um they were both charged with murder the police knew they hadn't got they got enough to make a a conviction but not for it to 
stick in a court of law, not for it, not for them to be, be convicted. Um, so, uh, obviously, this is the same as kind of the Charlotte Street robbery. With the Charlotte Street robbery, because three men were both wearing masks and one of the masked men had shot uh, Alec D. Antiquitous, the guy on the motorbike, they were both charged with his murder and therefore, because it was a theft as well, they were both charged uh, with murder with intent. Therefore, they were all th- were two executed and one was given life in prison because he was underage. Uh, in this case... We're at the point now where um, uh, the death sentence is already being discussed in the House of Parliament and they're starting not to put people to death. And and in this point, because they haven't stolen anything off him, therefore, a ridiculous law that says if you're if you kill someone, it's life sentence. If you kill someone, but a, a penny fell out of their pocket and you, you get that penny, you go, oh, I'll have that. That is a death sentence. Just again, another law that is utter dog shit. But, um, yeah, so because Chick is starting to get very nervous around this point, because, you know, he knows that he's going to get a life sentence for this, he's already starting to uh, crumble. So he's already starting to to find alibis. Uh, he's already starting to, pe- to speak to people who can say, this is, th- this is what I was doing, but this is the man who definitely did the murder. He's already turning on his friend already. Uh, we don't know how long they were friends for. It wasn't a massive amount of years. They weren't friends since kids but you know good couple of years let's not forget he's not exactly old so five or six years is like a good chunk of his life Uh, immediately after the murder bobby said billy ran off first chick was standing there and then he ran off i ran into a taxi there was a man standing by it who walked by as i got in i asked the cab to go around down street he did i couldn't see chick there so i went to piccadilly I was just by the lights of Piccadilly Circus by the right hand side when I looked across and happened to see Chick in a taxi there. He signalled that he was going round to Wimble Street, so I asked the cab driver to follow him. Um Laboratory testing on the clothes. Uh Graham Osborne's shirt, vest and jacket were all bloodstained with group A. Um uh was it Beerley's jacket and shirt had minute spots of blood on the left hand sleeve smears on the lower part of the front right and distinctive smears on the bottom left front uh these were human blood group a don't forget we're still in an era where all they can do is group it they can't do anything else um but because chick and billy weren't group a therefore they were like okay so whose blood is it um when they were questioned about this both men said oh do you know what i was having a fight with some geezer down the pub as all pricks do and um uh, but they were unable to prove what fights they'd had so therefore it was the the police were able to go well do you know you definitely had a, a violent attack with someone who was group a blood I mean, when you look at it, there's not there's not a huge amount of evidence there to prove that they'd done it. I think it's I think it's quite a shaky alibi, especially given the fact that they haven't got uh, the knife. And if they had the knife, therefore they'd have the fingerprints on it. So they had to rely on the witnesses who said they were there, and then Billy's testimony that she. Um, Oh, oh scratching my left knee uh that that she uh that she saw uh the fight between them taking place but uh, was it martin was able to confirm that a knife was used she said that it was just a fight so but when you think about it it's quite shaky isn't it it really is 
You could probably have charged them with a. You, you could definitely have convicted them of assault or GBH. But whether you could actually charge them with murder is kind of a bit sketchy, really. But which is not to say they didn't do it. It's just you know, burden of proof, isn't it? In it. So there we go. Uh, oh, I haven't, eaten, I haven't had my tea. Haven't had my carrot. I'm missing out. I'm really missing out. <sighs> Wonder if I treat myself to a cake today. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. Um, I just don't want to go down the the, the 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 path of being a fat bastard again. I, I want to be. It's not about be aesthetically being slim now. It's about because I'm of an age. I want to make sure that my internal organs are good. You know, because they say they say if you grab the fat around your booby area, if you're a man, that's the amount of fat that's around your heart. So I want to make sure that my internal organs are good. Um, that was a cheerful conversation, Michael. Uh, so let's do the quiz questions. <sighs> Question number one. What was the nearest park to the murder? It was Green Park. Question number two. What was the name of the taxi driver who found Graham? It was Ralph Platt. What was Graham, What was Ralph Platt's call sign? It was Zebra 42. I will deduct a point if you say Zebra 42. Uh, question number four, what was the name of the first policeman on the scene? It was PC Costa. I think it was PC Albert Costa, I, I remember. Uh, question number five, what hospital was Graham taken to? It was St George's Hospital, which was on Hyde Park Corner, so literally a couple of streets away. Question number six, no longer there. Question number six, although the building is. Question number six, who conducted the autopsy? It's a name I always struggle to say. Professor Keith Simpson. Question number seven, which newspaper had the headline Man Stabbed Lay Dying in Piccadilly? It was the Daily Telegraph. Question number eight, who was the night porter at the, at the Athenaeum Hotel? So you can say Athenaeum. Uh, Andrew Farley. Question number nine, this is a difficult one, I think. Uh, what was Bobby's real name? It was Daphne Gillian Cantley. I'll give you a point if you uh, identify Daphne. Uh, and question number 10. What was the name of the cafe where Chick told Terry he was in trouble? Don't worry, I didn't give this one away in the questions. There was a different cafe. Uh, that cafe was the Cockney Cafe. Ooh, geezer. Cockney, yeah, geezer. Ooh, mate. Um, so there we go. That's that done. Uh, is it starting to spit? I think it's starting to spit outside. Hopefully that means the bullshit aircraft will go by. I will stop. Oh, big yawn. Right. Wonder if I have a Diet Coke today. I haven't had a Diet Coke all week. I've been trying to be a good boy. So that's me done, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, next week, I can't remember. Oh, I don't know what next week's episode is because I'm going away to do um, some more research on the next six or so episodes i've done the i've done the one to take us into christmas which is the three-parter but i think i've got six more one-parters to take us through so i need to sit down and do the research on those to get those done because it's been a busy year with um six weeks of bronchitis and i'm still still partially sighted in my left eye uh hospital next week so hopefully they'll give me good news about that and obviously good to see my sister and checking out my dad it was okay so it's been a busy year so i'm a bit behind with my research but in six years i haven't been late with a single episode once 
There you go. Hard, putting in the hard work so you get free entertainment. I uh, hope you like it, folks. Uh, thank you very much for supporting the show. It's very much appreciated. We'll be back next week unless the worst happens, which is that Eva doesn't let me come out to play. So have a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.